Welcome to the Victory Orlando podcast. We exist to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus and to connect them with their purpose. To learn more about us, visit us at victoryorlando.com. Thanks for listening. We pray that you are encouraged and inspired by today's message. Uh, we've been talking about uh, over the last several weeks on this idea of staying on track. Um, we're in week three of this series. I hope it's been an encouragement to you, but it's just uh, so easy sometimes for life to get off course, life to get off track. And uh, I was thinking about that. Um, I don't know about y'all, but when I go to the grocery store, sometimes I like to have a little bit of fun. Uh, if you know me, I like to have fun just about everywhere that I go. But when I go to the grocery store, you know, I'll get the grocery cart out sometimes. And if Bella's there with me walking behind me, I'll start walking a little faster than her and a little faster than her. And then all of a sudden, jump on the cart and coast. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I see that twinkle in your eye. Y'all have done it too. It's all right. You don't have to admit it in church. Uh, but just ride that grocery cart through as long as they can. The interesting thing about most grocery carts is they've got that one funky wheel, you know, that the longer you're riding it with no feet on the ground, it starts to drift, and there comes that display of cans, and you got to stop before you smash into the display of cans. <laughs> Anybody been there? Um, it's so, that's, that's kind of this idea of staying on track, is that life sometimes has this way of getting off track, and if we're not careful, if we're not attentive to keep our life on track, to stay in the direction that God is leading us, to stay hooked up with the vision that he has for our lives. It's so easy just for life to just start to veer off course and we can be heading for that display cart of soup cans and not even realize it almost before it's too late. I believe that God wants his people to stay on track and not wind up in a ditch, not crash into something else, but God wants us to stay on track so that we can have a long life, so that we can be fruitful in whatever we do, so that we can be successful in all that he's called us to do. So we've talked about this idea of staying on track. If you've missed any of the weeks, uh, we have them available for you. There's a link to our audio podcast on our website, victoryorlando.com. You can get it there, or if you prefer video, you can subscribe on our YouTube channel. But in week number one, we talked about this whole idea. If we're going to stay on track, it's going to require us hearing and obeying God's voice. It's the two things working together for us to stay on track. We've got to hear God's voice and then obey what he says for us to do. Many people, uh, they don't know how to hear God's voice or, or what that is. And they don't know how to distinguish between God's voice or the devil's voice or if it's just the, the pizza they ate last night, you know. So we talked about hearing and obeying God's voice. Last week, we talked about this whole idea of living according to God's principles, that we can live our lives according to anything, but when we live our lives according to what God has said in his word, that then our lives become fruitful and we become blessed. Today, the word of the Lord is, is living by the Spirit. Living by the Spirit. Um, I believe that almost no one wakes up and says, you know, my life is pretty good right now. I got a good job. I got a good car. I got a great family and a wife. All these things. I'm going to go ruin it today. <laughs> Nobody does that. Uh, almost no one wakes up and wants to destroy their life, you know. Almost no one wakes up and says, you know what? They want to get addicted to some sexual thing and ruin their marriage and lose access to their kids. No one wakes up and says, you know what, I'm going to go hang out with my friends this weekend. We're going to go hit the casinos, play some bets, and end up hooked on uh, addiction and lose everything and gambling and then end up broke with nothing. No one wakes up and says, I'm just going to go out and party a little bit, hit up the clubs. We're going to get addicted to some drugs, become a junkie, cook meth, and end up in jail and miss out on the rest of my life. Nobody says those things, but so many people end up in those places every day. 
because life gets off track. And they were unwilling to deal with the things in their hearts. They were unresponsive to the warning signs that were saying, hey, that's the wrong direction. That's going to lead to destruction. Hey, the bridge is out over there. Don't drive that way. See, as Christians, as people who who are believers in Christ, we've got to be attentive to the truths that we've been taught. We've got to be paying attention to the warning signs that God gives us so that we don't end up messed up, so that we don't end up off track, so that we don't end up losing out on life. Because God wants us to have life and he wants us to experience it in an abundant way. So he gives us his word. He gives us truth so that we can model our life after it. He gives us his spirit then to be our guide to help us navigate through this crazy life and all the stuff that goes on so that we can experience his best through whatever we're going through. That's a good place to say amen right there. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. And if you have your Bible, you can turn there. We've been using that verse kind of as our foundation, this kind of theme for this series of staying on track. Um, This is the Passion Translation. It says, this is why it's so crucial that we be all the more engaged, that we're all the more attentive to the truths that we've heard. Why? So that we don't drift off so that we don't get off course. If we would just really tune in, be even more attentive than we've been to the truth that we've learned from God's Word, if we would really dig into His presence and really lean in to hear what He's saying, it will help keep us on track. So everybody stay on track. Yeah. In my family, uh, we love road trips. Anybody else love road trips? We love to get in the car, get some snacks and, you know, all kinds of stuff in the car and we get going and we, we love to go on trips and travel places. And by love road trips, I mean that my wife, Heather, uh, she loves all the things along the way. She loves all the stops, all the outlet malls, all the world's biggest peach stores, all the, you know, all the, the people who can their own boiled peanuts or whatever. Uh, she wants to stop at every single one of them. I love road trips in that I want to see how fast I can get there. Somebody said amen. Amen. Come on. Oh, praise him. That's good. I remember uh, one time uh, Heather and I were first married, and we were driving up to Colorado to see my dad. And um, if you've ever driven up there, you know once you get onto I-70 heading west towards Colorado, it is the, the most boring stretch of land there is. There is nothing out there. You're just driving down this road for hours, which seem like they'll never end, and there's nothing to look at. There's no, it's just there's very few towns along the way, not a lot of stops, and it's just it's just a boring stretch of uh, of highway. But this time as we were driving up there, driving down I-70, you know, and all of a sudden we start seeing these red hand-painted signs, hand-painted signs that says the world's biggest pony, exit 38. <sighs> Can we stop? Can we stop? Please, please, please. No, that's not real. A couple of miles later, world's biggest alligator in a hand-painted sign again. Can we stop? Can we stop? Another few miles down. Turn here to see the world's biggest, you know, whatever else. And just sign after sign. Can we please stop? Please, 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 please. No, no, no. We can't stop. Um, We didn't stop. And it was quiet for quite a while on the rest of that trip. I learned a little bit about marriage that day. Praise him. <laughs> uh, what's interesting about driving and traveling is all of the signs that are out there. Anytime you drive down the road, there's signs. There's road signs. And what road signs do when you're on a road trip with, uh, or, or driving down the highway or the road, they tell you what's happening further down the road. 
They tell you what's coming up because you're not there yet. You're back here. And so the road signs are there as a warning. They're there as direction. Hey, if you want to get to this destination, here's the exit. Uh, Hey, there's curves up ahead. You're going to need to slow down. The speed limit's 35 up there. If you go too fast, the truck will tip over. You got to slow down and make it through the curve. Road signs are there not to keep us from getting to our destination, but they're there to help us navigate so that we get to where we want to go. And here, the writer of Hebrews is telling us the same thing. He's saying, hey, there's some things ahead of you that are there to get you off track. But if you'll stay attentive to the word, if you'll stay attentive and tuned into the truth that you hear and have learned from God's word, then you will stay on track and you won't get off. You know, so in other words, if we'll just read the book and do what it says, we won't just make it there. We'll be blessed along the way. Come on, that's a good place to say amen. So we're talking about staying on track, staying on track. Um, If you've got your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. I want to look at this in Scripture, how we're going to live by the Spirit. What does that mean? I'm so glad you asked. It's a great question, living by the Spirit. In in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church, and um, apparently, according to the text, uh, things have gotten off track. Uh, They've gotten into some things. They've gotten off of the direction they started out in. And here, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to them to correct them and help them get back on track. Verse 13, he says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. So when you were born again, when you came into Christ, you were set free. Scripture tells us that we were, when we believe in Christ, when we believe in Jesus, we're made brand new, that our spirit comes alive. All the old is gone. Everything is made new. In that moment, God puts his power. He puts his love. He puts his spirit inside of you, and you are made brand new. And in that moment, you are no longer a slave to sin, right? Because without Jesus, we are lost in sin. Scripture tells us, Everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's standard. That's why Jesus came, so that we could be set free from the power of sin. So when we put our faith in Jesus, we are now set free from sin. So we have freedom in Christ. But there's a lot of misunderstanding about what freedom in Christ means. A lot of people think that freedom in Christ means I can do anything that I want to do. And there is some truth to that. You are free to do whatever it is that you want to do, but that doesn't mean that you should. Some people think I'm free to do whatever God, what I, what I will do, and then God's grace will take care of it all for me. So even if it's bad, God's grace is there for me. That's not what God's grace is for. God knows that we're not perfect. His grace is there so that in the moments that we do miss it, when we do mess up, His grace is there for us. That's what His grace does. It empowers us. It it, it draws us back in. It's it's not a license to just go and live willy nilly whatever we feel like. So he's saying here, you've been called to freedom. You've been called to be free. But he says, do not use your freedom to indulge your flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So in other words, we're free to do anything we want. But that doesn't mean we should. We should, instead of just living to indulge our flesh, to do whatever we feel is right, to do whatever we want, whatever feels good, instead, we should use that energy to serve one another humbly in love, right? So in other words, uh, you know, when people live that way, when they're like, ah, oh, I'm free to do whatever I want. They, they act however they want. They say whatever they want. They have whatever attitude they want. They do whatever they want. And then they have basically a self-serving attitude. Everything's about me. Because if it feels good, I'm going to do it. If I think it's right, 
I'm going to do it. If I don't think it's sin, I don't need to repent of it. I don't, you know, everything is centered here when I'm living that way. But evidently, when we're in Christ, that's not freedom, just to do whatever I want. He's saying instead, serve one another. Instead of self-serving attitude, I should have an others-serving attitude. Thank you for that one overwhelming amen from my mother-in-law. Let me say it for everybody else. Instead of having a self-serving attitude, have an others-serving attitude. If we would, whatever relationship that we find ourselves in, whatever situation that we come into, if we would just take that attitude of having an others-serving attitude, it would change the game. What about in your marriage? If you had an others-serving attitude, what about with your kids? If it wasn't self-serving, everything's for me it was to serve them what about at work what about at the grocery store what about in your church if we had an others serving attitude it changes things he says for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command love your neighbor as yourself this is not a popular idea these days <laughs> it's just not um, and truthfully our culture really pushes this idea of self-serving there's actually a term out there called self-love um, uh, you know, and, and it sounds nice on the front end of it, but there's really a lot of deception behind this whole movement of, of self-love. I've got to make sure that I'm number one, and if I, even at the expense of other things, I've got to take care of me. Well, that's really a, a selfish attitude. It's really rooted in this idea of called secular humanism. Um, this whole idea of self-love, or, or I've got to really say, and, and don't misunderstand, there, there is that part of all of us uh, where we all love ourselves. We all take care of ourselves. You know, we get our hair cut, we brush our teeth, we want people to like us, we dress nice, we shop for clothes, we feed ourselves. We love ourselves, we take care of ourselves, right? We are self-preserving people. We try to keep our families and ourselves out of danger. And don't, you, you, should, you should love yourself. You are valuable. You are made with a purpose. God loves you. You should love who you are. But at the same time, we shouldn't allow it to move past and become part of a belief system that then thinks, well, I'm more important. And if I don't have my thing, then nothing else matters. And that's where it really begins to slip where a lot of people get into this whole realm of I, I can't be involved. I can't do that because I need me time. I've got to have self-love. I've got to have all this stuff. And then it becomes all funneled back to me and I become the most important. And let's see, that's where this, this whole thing with this secular humanism comes in because in secular humanism, and people become the God. People become the most important thing. Self is number one. Whatever feels right is it. Then the person then gets to decide what is right and what is wrong, what, what is good and what is bad. We see this happening in our culture, the rise of this, this kind of thinking uh, of, of secular humanism. And, and then that's how an entire generation, an entire nation of people bought into one man's idea that other people groups weren't as good as them and didn't deserve to live. And we experienced the six million Jews that were slaughtered in the Holocaust along with several other ethnic groups as well. We see it happening in our day and time now where people have the ability to choose, well, this is a fetus and not a baby. It's secular humanism where the person has become the ultimate goal. The person has become the source of pleasure, the source of fulfillment, the source of truth. And it's just a deception. It's a trap from our spiritual enemy, the devil. And it's time for the church to wake up. It's time for the church to wake up and realize you weren't called to that. You were called to a life of service. Just as Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life. And aren't we so thankful that he did? 
because we're here right now because he did. We're called to the same life that he lived to give ourselves, to give our lives, serving other people. Just people, it's, it's just easy to get off track and our, our, our culture has gotten off track. I would even say a lot of people in the church have gotten off track and we've taken this ability to do anything we want, to do anything we want. We've taken our freedom, now I can, I can do anything that I want. And here Paul is saying, hey, spend that energy, not just satisfying yourself, but serving somebody else. This is why I'm so thankful for the dream team. Can we give a big shout for the dream team? Come on. We love the dream team. They're awesome. I don't know if you realize, but we wouldn't be having church right now if it wasn't for the dream team. Um, so if you haven't shaken the hand and thanked a dream teamer today, you better find one on your way out and thank them. You better go down that kid's hallway and thank all the kids workers, each and every one of them. Thank you for being in with the kids and then say how can I help you how can I be involved right man it's because the dream team I love them so much because they just decided they have this heart of like I'm going to plan for it I'm going to make a plan to be there I'm going to give of myself give of my time give of my energy to serve somebody else to love somebody in this community to serve this church to make sure you have chairs to sit in to make sure you have coffee that tastes good to make sure that someone's in with your kids to make sure someone helped you park your car today you know like I'm so thankful for the dream team and all they do they're making a difference in our in this church and in this community and I believe that man that's how you store up treasures in heaven so I'm so thankful for the dream team man I want to encourage you to join the dream team there's a spot for you on the dream team we have a spot waiting for you on the dream team and if you've never been on the dream dream team now's your time baby it's a good time to get on the team and um, you know if you if you're interested ask any of our dream teamers you can if you want to be part of the team you can go through next steps and, and that process but man maybe you have questions what is it like? Join us Friday night. We're going to have our dream team rally. It's just a great time. We play games and just have an awesome time together. Come check it out. See what it's like. Get to know some people. And I promise you, the moment that you begin to serve somebody else, man, it's just awesome. Like the fulfillment of our lives is found when we're serving somebody else. That's good right there. The, the fulfillment of our lives is found when we're serving others. Paul goes on. He says, if you bite and devour each other, Watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So he, he, he told us about serving. Now he's showing us the other side. We can serve each other in love, humbly, or we can bite and devour each other. Another translation says if you criticize one another, it's going to lead to destruction. It's gonna, uh, there's going to be uh, destruction in that place. It's interesting when you look at this phrasing, bite and devour, and you trace it all the way back uh, the, in the classical Greek language, this phrasing that was used there is used to describe two wild animals fighting to the death. I don't know if you've ever watched Animal Planet or the National Geographic and those big, you know, rams headbutting each other to, to fight for their turf. Like, this is the picture he's giving us. If you bite and devour it, if you fight each other for the, to the death, if you're fighting for turf, if you're criticizing one another, you got a critical spirit, you can't say anything good. Like, this going to lead to destruction. It's not a good destination. Uh, let me say it this way. It's, it's easy to stay on track when you're serving other people. But the moment you step back, Man, it becomes real easy to get off track, to get caught into a deception. There's so many people I've talked to, ah, I never thought I would be the one to get involved in this. But they ended up in that. And you can always trace it back to a place where they stepped back from a place where God had called them, where they stepped back from a place of service and life got off track. Like, it's just so easy to stay on track when our lives are all about serving 
others. When we're not criticizing, when we step back, it's a lot easier to point out all the faults and all the critiques. Oh, it's just constructive criticism, really. But uh, can I just say, um, why do we have constructive criticism and opinions over things we have no responsibility in? It's good to have criticism, but it's better to have responsibility. So instead of just pointing out, well, I just wish the pastor would do this, and, and why don't they do that out there, and why don't they do this? Well, just get on the de- team and be a part of making a difference instead of just being stepping back and being part of the critiquing. Amen. We can make more of a difference with our actions than just by pointing things out. So what, so what do we do about it? How do we move forward then? He gives us in the next verse. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's just so plain. He's saying the spirit and the flesh. And these two terms sometimes can, uh, uh, people have different thoughts on what they are, or maybe un- unclear on what they are. When he's talking about the flesh here, and this term is used a lot throughout scripture. Sometimes it talks about the sinful nature or the flesh. What he's talking about is our, our natural desires, our, our thinking and our, our feeling, our emotions, the, the natural tendencies within us, our, our humanness, if we will, our, our desires and, and, and all those things. It's the flesh, the, the fleshly nature. Right? And in this passage, when he's talking about the spirit, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Right? So we have the flesh, the natural sinful nature in us, and then the Holy Spirit. So we see these two different things. And he's saying, walk by the spirit and you won't satisfy the desires of the flesh. You won't live according to the flesh if you live according to the Spirit, right? It's so clear. The answer is clear. He says, he goes on, and he begins to describe how these two things, the flesh and the Spirit, operate in our lives. He says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you don't do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit, they are not in unison. They are not in harmony. They don't go together. You know, they, they don't mix together. They, don't, they are opposite of each other. They are in uh, opposite directions. They, they don't mix together. You know, which one of these doesn't belong? You know, nobody? Okay. Sometimes things don't go together. You know what I'm saying? Like um, when you get home and you buy those pack of Oreos next week after the fast is over and you get your Oreos out and you dip them in that great great big glass of orange juice. Oh, some things just don't go together. Sometimes some, I love pickles, but somebody told me one time to take a, a peanut butter sandwich and put the pickle in the middle. And I was like, I was trying to keep it down. Some things don't go together. I heard a few cheers. And if that's you, more power to you. Praise him. You know, I, I love going to the movies, and we always get a tub of popcorn, and you put that ketchup all over the top of it. No, it doesn't go together. Oh, I hope you didn't lose your appetite today. Praise him. But we are fasting, so if you did, you're welcome. <laughs> Some things don't go together. They don't belong together. This is what he's, the picture that he's given us, that the desires of the flesh in us and the desires of the spirit, they don't go together. They don't mix together. They're not meant to be a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and and I'll just kind of manage it all together. No, they're opposite of each other. They're working against each other. But the answer to walking by the Spirit and not walking by the flesh is right there. He said, if you walk by the Spirit, you won't satisfy the desires of the flesh. So the answer is right there. It's good news for us. If we're living under the control of the Spirit of God, we won't be trapped in the works of the flesh. Then he goes on in verse 19. 
he begins to kind of give us this picture a little clearer. He gives us this comparison in a deeper way of what it looks like when somebody is living by the flesh. And he kind of groups them together in different groups. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. So they should be obvious. They're noticeable. It's like there's no doubt this is the working of the flesh. The first grouping that he gives us is, he says, is sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. It's interesting, um, I think, that uh, this entire, this entire these, all these things is that he says they should be obvious. They should be noticeable. But our spiritual enemy works overtime to make it seem like they're not. To make, take what God says is obvious. You know, there's no debate in heaven over what God sees as sin and, and not. There's no debate on if, if this is the working of the spirit or if this is the working of the flesh. That only exists here in, in, on earth, right? And so here he's saying these should be noticeable, and our spiritual enemy is trying to make them not. I think especially this, it's interesting this first, these first few things he gives us are all in the sexual realm because apparently it was a problem back then like it is now. Like there's a lot of sexual perversion and misunderstanding and confusion in our world today. And it's, it's, it's trying to be made like it's not obvious that it's not from God, right? God made, uh, made our sexuality, but he made it for a man and a woman to joy, enjoy in marriage. That's how the Bible defines that, and that's what he gave that for. But here the, we see the perversions of it. So these things, uh, different translations, it includes different things like adultery and fornication. Those are fancy words of saying adultery is when two people sleep together that are married to different people, right? And fornication is when two people sleep together that aren't married to each other. He he's talks about those things. It includes things like lustful thinking, like looking at images on a phone or a computer screen or a video, pornography, all those sexual things. He's saying, hey, those things things are not workings of the Spirit of God. Those are uh, the desires of the flesh, right? He goes on, gives us the next group. He says, idolatry and witchcraft. Uh, in our Western culture, we don't understand idolatry a lot of the ways that they would have understood it in this culture uh, because the people in this church, in the city of Galatia, he's writing this letter in Galatians to them, they would have come out of a culture that goes to a temple and bows down and burns incense to gold idols and things like that. We don't see that a lot in our culture today. Um, there's other nations where that is still prevalent, but in our Western culture, um, uh, worshiping idols just exists in different ways. Uh, we see it in different things. Um, people depending on different things. See, uh, an idol is something that we've uh, elevated to our source of dependence, a, a thing that we depend upon. Um, so much so that now that's the thing that if I don't have it, it's a problem. If I can't get this, then I'm going to throw a fit or it's going to be a bad day. I can't, I can't function without this thing. My value is wrapped up in this thing. And if I can't get that, and then people are hooked on a bottle, they're hooked on a pill, they're hooked on a relationship, they're hooked on a screen, they're hooked on a drink, whatever it is, it's something that we've made an idol. See, I, I, I would say that idolatry is, is looking for something that only God can provide. It's looking for something that only God can provide. Um, in Isaiah chapter 44, God is speaking to his people. The, the children of Israel have gotten off track They've become uh, idol worshipers. They're actually bowing down to statues and, and things that they've made, and, and they're worshiping these idols. And in Isaiah 44, God is speaking to his people kind of this, this picture of what's happening. And it's really kind of a poetic look at this idea of idolatry. Um, but he kind of gives us this picture of this carpenter. 
carpenter works with wood and does things. And he says, here, the carpenter has this tree. And the tree in of itself is not good or bad. It's just kind of this neutral thing. And so the carpenter, he cuts the tree down. And he's able to do something good with it. He builds a fire for his house. Now he has heat in his house. And he takes this neutral thing and does something good with it. And then with the fire that he built from it, he's able to make bread for his family and feed his family. And so he's kind of done some good things with the neutral thing. But then in verse 17, he says, from the rest... He makes a God, his idol. He bows down to it and worships, and he prays to it and says, save me. You are my God. And, you know, maybe you're thinking right now, Pastor, well, I'm not bowing down to anything. I don't have any idols in my house. There's no gold statues or anything like that in my house. But, see, that's the thing with idolatry is that it wants to slip in and sometimes unnoticed, unchecked. It wants to rob our dependence on God where we're worshiping God, where we're looking to God. God, would you help me in the middle of this thing to now i got to have this pill or I'm not going to be okay. i got to have this drink or Monday is bad. i got to have this relationship or I'm not worth anything. We've made other things our idol. Uh, uh, So often it's something that's not even good or bad. A relationship in and of itself is not a good or a bad thing, but it can become a bad thing. Same thing with money. Money in and of itself is not a good or a bad thing. It's kind of neutral in the middle. But then sometimes people want to take it and do something good with it, but then they spend the rest of their lives worshiping it and pursuing it at all costs. We've made it our idol. And idolatry has slipped in into our culture. Then he goes on, and um, he, uh, witchcraft is not that far behind. <laughs> witchcraft is something that should be obvious. It's not of the Spirit of God. But I don't know about y'all. Looking around at culture and all the things that are popular and all this stuff, like it's being made out to be something that's good. Evil is trying to be passed off as good. Everything from uh, you know, Harry Potter to Maleficent to, you know, all of these things that are out there that are obviously evil that are trying to seem okay. And it's, it, it's way past slipped into the church. I mean, man, so many people are like, uh, listen, here's the thing. We can read whatever books we want to read. We can be involved in whatever we want to. We can watch whatever we want to watch and and do all that. You can do anything that you want to do, but it's just not going to, everything is not going to produce what God has for you in your life. It's not going to lead you to be led by the Spirit. And that's not freedom to do whatever it is that you want to do. Freedom in Christ is to live fully for Him. That's freedom in Christ, to give my life fully to him, to live every day after him. It's not just so I can say, "Ah, I can do this, so I will. Well, you can, but the Bible's just telling us what it's going to produce, that it's not going to produce the things of God. And and honestly, sometimes people are like, well, it's just just a little kid thing. It's not even a serious thing. It's not even that bad. It's not a big deal. Why you make a big deal about it? But can I just tell you, if you want to be led by the Spirit, if you want to go in the direction of God, then what we've got to stop opening the doors to the realm of the demonic. And that's what witchcraft is. It's the realm of the demonic. And so often people, we open these doors and they seem small and they seem innocent, but it opens the door to uh, bigger and stronger things. And we're unaware and letting it in. And then evil is running rampant in our lives and in our family. And then we cry out to God, God, why is this happening? What's going on? And God's telling you, I I told you in my word, don't get involved in that because it's going to lead to destruction. It's time for us to wake up in some things. He, He continues. He says, here's the next group, hatred. 
discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy. Anyone heard of road rage before? <laughs> I mean, just about every night it seems like on the news, there's a story of two people, one person who just got so angry at this other person for something so silly, you know, like whatever it is, they didn't get their french fries in their bag and they run into the store and they're just so angry and they start fighting and punching and eventually someone gets hurt or killed and then one person ends up because of one decision in a fit of rage, their entire life has changed from that moment on. It's the working of the flesh. And uh, it's not exclusive to those without Christ. I mean, have you? everyone knows, even people that aren't in church know the phrase church split. Hello, dissensions. Hello, factions. See, we're not called to disunity. We're not called to be at each other's throats. We're called to unity. We're called to have each other's backs, to not allow those things in us to pull us apart. We're, we're called to, to contend for unity, to fight for unity. Like, that's, that's the degree that we have to have each, circled around each other. We got each other's. We're not going to allow these things in our lives. He goes on the next group, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And here's what he says. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't know about y'all, but that language right there, that gets my attention. Because that's strong language. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't know about y'all. I want to inherit the kingdom of God. That's, that's eternal life. That's what God has for us is the kingdom. Like, I want to I inherit the kingdom. And God is making it clear for us that, that, that hey, if you want to go this direction, it's just, it's just not going to lead you toward God. It's not going to lead you in, in all the good that God has for us. And honestly, can I tell you, like, this is not a condemning message. This is a message of hope because in, in, in God's word is hope. God's word brings life. And it brings correction. And sometimes we need that. We need to get correction to get back on track sometimes. But this is not a condemning message. See, condemning means that that's from our spiritual enemy. He wants to come in in this moment. And I, I believe that even in this moment, right where we are right here, see, the devil comes to church a lot more than most Christians do. And he'll come in in moments like this and be like, see how bad you are? And he'll want to push you down, make you feel bad. God must be mad at you. See, he's just, and he wants to push us down, 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 further away from God. So we see ourselves as less valuable, as less good, as impossible to deal with. And it's just not true. It's, see, God wants to draw us closer to him. That's what conviction does. That's the job of the Holy Spirit to come in and say, hey, the bridge is out. If you drive that way, you're going to drive off the bridge. But come this way instead, because this way is life. This way is peace. This way is joy. This way is provision. This way is blessing. This way is wisdom. Like, he has direction and wisdom for it if we're willing to turn and go the other direction. So there's life. There's hope in it for us. Like, sometimes people think, well, if God, he just wants to keep me from saying that. He, like, no, God wants you to experience life and life more abundantly. You're right. God wants to keep you from from death, destruction, and loss. That's good. That's a good place to give God some praise. That God is for you. He's not against you. He's a good father for you. He'll provide for you. He'll protect you. He'll keep you. The scripture says not even your foot will be dashed against this stone. Come on. God is for you. He has hope for us. That's why he sent Jesus. If he didn't care where we ended up, then why would he have rescued us from our mess in the first place? 
He wants to get us on the right path towards him because he loves you because he's drawing us towards him. It's so good for us. He's so good for us. And, uh, but, but so many people only want to talk about their faith. They want to talk about their profession. I believe in Jesus. I, I believe in God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I memorized some scriptures. I know some things. But they don't want to talk about their lifestyle. But can I tell you, God is interested in your lifestyle. He really is. He really is. He wants your whole life directed towards him. Not just a little part. Not just your words. Like He wants your whole life turned towards him. It's good. He, he, he wants all of you, not just a little part of you. And he's given us his power to overcome. So you're not at it on your own. You don't have to figure it out on your own. Scripture says, 2 Corinthians, he says, God has given us his power to demolish every stronghold, to destroy everything that sets itself up against Christ. Well, we know, we just learned that what the flesh desires and what the spirit desires are against each other. So if it's against Christ, then you have the power inside of you to destroy and demolish that thing. Come on, that's good. You have the spirit of God inside of you. You have God's power living inside of you to overcome to not be a slave to sin. See, when your faith was put in Christ, you were set free. You are not a slave to sin. You are not a slave to your habits. You are not a slave to your desires or your addictions. You are free from those things. And now you belong to Jesus. Yeah. You belong to Jesus. Um, you know, when you go to Publix and you... Um, get your fruits and veggies and whatever it is that you're getting. And before you buy those things, they belong to Publix, right? You can't just walk out of there with paying those, without paying for those things. Please don't try that. I, don't, I will visit you in jail, but I just don't want, I don't want to have to do that, okay? Uh, when you go to Publix and you get your stuff, they put it on the belt and the person scans it, beep, 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 and they tell you your total, and then you put your card in, and then you paid for it, and now they belong to me. Ownership is transferred from Publix to me because I paid for them. The same thing happens when you put your faith in Christ. See, sin had to be paid for, and it could only be paid for by death. Jesus paid for your sin with his death. So when we put our faith in Jesus, he bought you. He paid for your sins, and now you don't belong to you. You belong to him. So he decides we belong to Jesus, right? All right, so he goes on. He says, now, here's the result of living by the Spirit. So if we're going to walk by the Spirit, what, how, how do we do that? He says, but the fruit of the Spirit or the results of the Spirit, if I could use a modern term, the end game of living by the Spirit. Somebody will get that on the way home. The end game of living by the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. Man, that's so good. That's the evidence of walking by the Spirit. So now it becomes real easy. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's just, it's just a filter for me to see, am I being led by the Spirit or am I being led by my desires? Because what is it producing? And when you put those two things in two columns, all the, all the works of the flesh and all the works of the Spirit, and it's a no-brainer. I would choose this side, all the good stuff, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience. The good. We, almost everyone would choose that, but, but so often our lives are not choosing that. And here, God has given us this moment. Hey, let's get things back on track. So how do we do it? I want to give us a couple things here real quick, how we're going to be able to live by the Spirit. How do we get things back in that direction? If you're taking notes, I want you to write a couple of these things down. First one is this. If we're going to live by the Spirit, 
it's going to require us to deny our fleshly desires. It's going to require us to deny some desires. It's found in the next verse. Remember, you belong to Jesus. So he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus, that's describing you and me. He says, those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. See, many people stay stuck in something because they don't want to say no. They don't want to deny themselves. They don't want to deny their flesh. And here he's saying, hey, if you belong to Jesus, then we crucify the flesh. I, that's, a, that's a powerful word, that word crucify. I don't know if you think back to Jesus' crucifixion. Um, it was extremely violent. It was not like a, a passive thing where it's like, oh, maybe I'll get crucified and it won't be so bad. No, it was terrible. The whole process was designed by the Romans to cause extreme pain, extreme shame, and extreme torture. Like it was terrible. It's a, it's a, it's a, a thing in here, and that's the picture that he's given us of what, when we belong to Jesus, we crucify our flesh, our desires, and now we're living by the Spirit. But some people just, they don't want to do that. They want to continue to have their things. They want to see something they want and buy it. They want to see something they like and eat it or see a person they like and flirt with it, even if they're married to somebody else or, or see something and, and smoke it or drink it or whatever it is. They, they're gratifying everything. They don't want to say no. And sometimes it's going to require us to stay no to some things. Um, there's a phrase out there um, that I've never really fully understood um, called taking the edge off. I'm going to get home and have a drink and take the edge off. What edge are we talking about here? I think what they're saying is they need to some comfort from the day. You know, uh, Soko, some Southern Comfort, or some JD, some Jack Daniels, or whatever else. But Jesus did not say, I'm going to give you Jack Daniels as your comforter. He said, I will send you the Holy Spirit to be your comforter. Yeah. So it's going to require us getting rid of some idols. And when we say, I've got to have this thing to have comfort, then yes, that has become our idol. And God is no longer on the throne of our hearts. And it's going to require us getting rid of some idols to say, God, I need you. I need to get back to some things. Holy Spirit, I need your comfort. Holy Spirit, I need your strength today. I need your wisdom to make it through. Because if I don't have you, then I can't make it. God is no other God before him. It's going to require us saying no to some things, right? And can I, I, I got to say this. Um, maybe, you know, if, if those are, Things that you're involved in, whether, you know, uh, especially drinking and smoking, it's such a big issue today. It's such a hot button for people. Uh, it doesn't make you a, a terrible Christian. It doesn't make you an outcast. And No, no. But I, I, can I just tell you what I've decided in my life? Um, I just decided in my life I want to live by the Spirit. And so I'm just, I'm just going to do whatever I have to do. I'm just, I just decided that's just not something that I'm going to be involved in. And I know some people do, and that's okay for them. But just for me, I've just decided I've seen what it can produce in people's lives when it gets out of control. And I don't want to create any room for that. I just want to create room in my life to be led by the Spirit and for God to work in my life. So I've just decided that's just not going to be part of my life. And we all just have to make that decision in whatever direction we want to go. And you, could, you can go any direction you want. I just decided for me, this is the direction 
I want to go. And so I'm going to go in that direction because I believe that God's word said this is what it's going to produce. And if I go this direction, that's what it's going to produce. So I'm going to say no to some things because whatever we feed will grow and whatever we starve will die. Here's the second thing. If we're going to be live by the Spirit is we need to not keep things a secret. If we're dealing with something and you keep it a secret, man, that thing's going to have power over you. <laughs> but if we get that thing out in the light, man, it's going to lose power. You know, that's the other thing with crucifixion is that it was extremely public. Um, you know, it was not in the back corner. They were not, you know, no, it was out in the public. It was extremely shameful. Many times they would strip them naked when they did it. Like it was out there in the open. But many people want to deal with the issues that they're going through, deal with their hurts, deal with their struggles, deal with their addictions and all these things in private so that no one knows. I, I just don't want anybody to know what I'm going through. And then they wonder why it has so much power and it's so hard for them to break free of that thing. Because sin grows best in the dark. So if you like the thing you're struggling with, go ahead and keep it to yourself and keep it in the dark. But if you want to break the power of that thing over your life, then get some people around you who love you, who are for you, who are full of the word, who are going to be there for you, who couldn't love you more, couldn't love you less, and get accountable. Say, hey, will you help me in this thing? See, we need more accountability in the church. And what accountability is, is somebody that knows my business. They know the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. And they have the ability to ask me about it at any time, and I need to answer them honestly. That's accountability. Why would anybody do that? Because we need to get free of some things. Because without accountability, there's no motivation to change. It's like maybe, you, you know, in the service, you'll decide, I need to make some changes in my life. And, you know, sometimes people are like, well, I don't have to raise my hand to respond to the message. And you're right. But then guess what? You're the only one who knows. No one else knows. And then when you go about your day and the first temptation comes, the first moment of opposition comes, the first resistance comes, it's just super easy. Well, no one really knows that I made that commitment, so it's a whole lot easier for me than to not keep up with it. But when somebody knows about it and they call me up, they're like, hey, why did I see all that in the history in your browser? Yeah, you're right. I, I did that. I, want I don't want that in my life. Like, so if you're trying to break free of some things, you know, like people trying to break free of por pornography. You don't want that in your life. You don't want that lustful spirit, those lustful thoughts in your mind. You know, then get rid of your smartphone. Don't keep a computer behind closed doors. You know, you don't need a smartphone. You get a flip phone. Get a dumb phone. What it, like, um, if you want to say no to some things, get rid of your access to it. Yeah, change some things. Get somebody in your life, somebody in your corner. Don't keep it a secret. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals their sin doesn't prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces finds mercy. It's so important we get accountability. That's why I love groups. That's what happens in a connect group is that we know each other. We, we get to protect each other. We get to serve each other. We pray for each other. We have each other's back. And can I say, like, that doesn't mean you don't, you don't need to, it's not saying you need to come up in front of the whole church and confess all your sins and all that. Like, that's not what he's saying. Like forgiveness, confession of our sins, we know it happens in two ways. We confess our sins to our Father for repentance. We're forgiven with our Father. But then James tells us that we should confess our sins to one another for healing. That there's a healing process that begins to take place when we're willing to be vulnerable with somebody. And not just anyone, the right person. 
someone, not someone who's in the same mess as you are, someone who's a little further down the road, someone who knows the word, someone who can stand with you, someone who can call you out, someone who knows and can pray for you. Like that's the kind of person we need in our corner to help us out. And that's, this church is full of those kind of people who can help you. So get the help you need. This is a safe place. No one's gonna think you're less of a Christian or that you're a bad person. Like we just love helping people find freedom. And it's just a great, it's a great thing to be a part of. So get in a group. Here's the third thing. If we're going to live according to the Spirit, is that we need to develop the fear of the Lord. If we're going to live according to the Spirit, we need to develop the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God. It's not thinking he's got a lightning bolt and he's going to throw it on me and strike me down. No, that's, that's just being scared. That's being terrified. The fear of the Lord, actually, I would say is this, is that it's having so much reverence and so much respect for God that our greatest desire is to please him. So it's not dread, I'm afraid of him. No, it's my greatest desire is to please him. So I'll, I'll, whatever it takes for me to please him, I'll, I'll be that way. It's, it's this reverence, it's this awe for who God is and knowing him and what a privilege it is to serve him. What a privilege it is to follow his word and to keep his word. What a privilege it is to hide his word in our hearts and to worship and to serve. What a privilege, it, like it's the fear of the Lord. I think Joseph is a great example of the fear of the Lord. Um, his story, he was uh, a prisoner in Egypt and he was uh, uh, serving in the house of this guy named Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife constantly tried to seduce him and, and get him to sleep with her. Come on, come on, no one will know about it. Just do it, just do it. And Joseph was like, no, no, no. One day she tried to seduce him so bad, she was like pulling his clothes off and he ran out of there. He said, I will not do this thing against my master and against God. Man, that's the fear of the Lord right there. It's like, I would rather be pleasing to God than be accepted by people. It's the fear of the Lord. And if we're going to live by the Spirit, it's going to require us to grow and develop the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 8, 13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. They don't go together. It's, it's not a little bit of both. It's one or the other. Job 28, 28, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. So the fear of the Lord is a motivating force that draws us closer and closer to our heavenly father the good news about every time we draw closer to god what does scripture say in james he draws near to us i love that i just i just picture this thought of when i take a step towards god like all of heaven like unleashes itself and comes after you just rushes in right where you are. Be like, that God is so attracted to people who, are, who move close to him, who are daring enough to say, God, I'm going to move away from other things that are good, bad, neutral, whatever, because I want to draw closer to you. And he's like, oh, yeah? Watch this. And then he floods you with his grace. He floods you with mercy. He floods you with his strength and with his presence and his peace. And can I tell you, in his presence, confusion cannot stay there. Uh, unrest cannot stay there. There's so much joy, so much peace in his presence presence y'all man it's so good god is so good can we just all over this room right now can we just jump to our feet and just just begin to stir yourself up in your spirit i believe god is drawing us today he's pulling us close to him and in this moment i believe that he he wants to help us to get things right 